listening to Project Redcord Chronicles, a podcast of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. On her seventh podcast, Renee heads back into the studio for a very special episode, celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. Renee shares memories with an extended list of guests this episode, including founding board members, the inspirational success of a survivor turned activist, the origin story of her youth ambassador, and a very heartfelt interview with Tracy, the very first employee of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. You'll also hear from Renee herself. In her own words, she recounts the trailblazing days of her early efforts, the relationships fostered, and the success of the Empowerment Center today. And now, direct from the Empowerment Center in Cleveland, Ohio, here's your host, Renee Jones. Welcome to another episode of Project Rare Court Chronicles. I would like to thank all the listeners who tuned in to our sixth episode and learned about RJEC's partnership with the People's Church of God in Christ and how they put on an annual resource empowerment fair. And this year we celebrated the seventh annual fair and their work in the community with outreach partnering with the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. And we are so happy that you tuned in and learned how that partnership has made a great impact in the Collinwood community. We hope you enjoyed that episode. We are so grateful for all of our listeners and would like to remind you to subscribe to the Project Rare Court Chronicles podcast. Feel free to comment and share it with all of your family and friends. Today we have a very, very special episode and a lot of very special guests in celebration of the 20th anniversary of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. Today you're going to learn about the wonderful journey and progress of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center over the years. Today we want to introduce you to one of the board members of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center as part of the special 20th anniversary episode. And right now, I would like to introduce to you board member Joan Clark. Welcome, Joan. Thank you, Renee. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And we want to just start off and share with our listeners a little bit about uh, being a board member for the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. How long have you been a board member at the Renee Jones Empowerment Center? It's been around five years. You know, with the pandemic, I think we all lost a little bit of track of time, but I was very aware that even during the pandemic, the Renee Jones Center was serving its uh, constituency. Yes. Well, we thank you. We've been so honored to have you as a board member for all these years. Uh, In celebration of this 20 years, what are you most proud of as a board member for RJEC? Renee, there's so much to be proud of at the center that it would be almost impossible for me to pick one thing. Um, You've given me the opportunity to help support your vision, and your vision is always bigger than the center itself, and then it becomes part of the center. So I've been very proud to be part of the gala fundraiser, which is, I believe, our seventh one is coming up now. Uh, That's been a pleasure to be part of. Um, I've been very proud to be part of your vision to do a global outreach and to partner with the Cleveland International Program so that you could begin to work with people all over the world on the issue of human trafficking. That is wonderful. And we're celebrating our eighth annual uh, Breaking the Chains of Human Trafficking Gala 
and you have been a very important part of that process. And I'm glad you shared about the global initiative because that is something that we are really proud of and it's growing. And we thank you for all of your involvement in that. And one thing that um, this is a, like a pop-up question to ask you because relating to the gala, you were really responsible when we first started about bringing something that we call the survivor spotlight at our gala. And that is where the survivors are taught uh, ballroom dancing and uh, we have a spotlight. And that's how we introduce the survivors at the gala that are going to be there. And you were responsible for that for over the years. And now it's grown, started with one survivor. And now each gala, we've had three to four survivors. uh, And you've organized that. Can you share with our audience a little bit about what you do and how you work with the survivors? Yes. Um, ballroom dancing is something that I love to do. In terms of bringing the survivors into that process, well, ballroom dancing is a partnership. It's a way of two people working together to use their bodies in a beautiful and, and positive way. Um, when we do our ballroom dancing, we talk about space your space and my space and how we honor that space and how we honor it in such a way that as a couple, we can make something beautiful. I believe that's a part of the process of empowerment when you are uh, recovering from some form of abuse to work with gentlemen, real gentlemen who are conscious of you and what you're doing and how you're doing it and honoring your choices in that partnership, I think that's a very important message for our survivors to to hear. Plus, they have the opportunity to uh, get dressed up, show themselves off, and um, to come out and perform. When you think about it, many, many people will never do that because it can be nerve-wracking. You're busy worrying about how you're going to be judged. And this exercise of practicing dancing, getting used to a partner, and then doing it in front of a huge audience is a big positive. It is an empowerment itself. Yes, it is. And we thank you for bringing that to the gala because uh, everyone looks forward to the Survivor Spotlight. And it's really empowering and a wonderful, life-changing experience for all the survivors who've had the opportunity to do it. And so we thank you for that. And just to wrap up, one last uh, question for you. Is there anything else uh, over these years that you would like to share that maybe I haven't asked you with our audience about being a board member and being involved in the various areas of the center? Um, Renee, there are two things that I would like to mention. One is that in the standard responsibilities of a board member, I've had the opportunity to be mindful of how the center runs its budget, of how the center runs its and uses its staff and runs and uses its resources. And because of that, I feel so confident when I talk to people in the community and I can tell them that this is an organization with the utmost integrity. That makes it possible for me to fundraise with more enthusiasm. So that's one item. Um, I would also uh, like to mention that when I, when I go out to speak to people about human trafficking, 
so often people will say to me, how can you do that? It's so dark. It's so painful. Doesn't it just bring you down? And working with you, Renee, at the Empowerment Center, uh, it does not at all bring me down, not at all, because I tell them that the, the people, the women at the center are the strongest and most loving people I have ever known. And together they help each other in a way that you'd love to see everybody do. And so I feel that I have gained so much from being able to work with you, work with the center and the survivors at the center. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Joan. That was wonderful. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Project Rare Core Chronicles. At this time, I am so happy to introduce to our audience a survivor. She, her name is Annette Mango. Annette, welcome to the Project Rare Core Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much, Ms. Renee. In this celebration of our 20th year anniversary, we could not do that without speaking to one of our longtime survivors and sharing with our audience a little bit about who you are. So can you share with our audience, when did you start coming to RJEC? Well, I started coming to the Renee Jones Empowerment um, 2015. It was 2015. Wonderful. That is awesome. And how has the center helped you over the years? I think the question should be, how haven't it helped me? It has helped me so much. Um, it gave me back my life. It gave me self-esteem. Um, it gave me the power to move on. Um, I have 100% learned so much about myself coming to the Renee. That's wonderful. That is so wonderful to hear. And what are you currently doing? Because I think people should know, you, you know, you came in 2015, you've become empowered, your life has changed so much, but you're also doing a lot of work in the fight against human trafficking. So I want you to share with our audience how you work with the center. Uh, let's start with the center first. Okay. With the center, I come for classes when I'm able to because I do have a full-time job. And I come in whenever I get the chance to. I did the plant club. I work with uh, Miss Keisha. Um, I get to outreach. I actually had time to go to the farm, the horse farm, um, one time. Um, I've been to Akron. Um, it's it's just so much. I I can't keep up. But when the opportunity comes, I'm there. Yes, and you're very effective. It's great to have a survivor at outreach because some of the people that we're reaching out to, um, seeing you out there and you're being able to relate to them, understanding where they are has been very instrumental in us helping uh, women and young girls that we may see at any of these outreach locations. So thank you for that. Uh, we appreciate whenever you have time and how you help and how you stay involved and connected. Now, I know that you are also working with the Ohio Attorney General's office, and I think this is really important for people to know what you're doing there. Well, actually, I'm an ambassador there. Um, I go to meetings, and sometimes um, I'm even on Zoom. But a lot of times I like to go there in person, and we'll, we talk about 
all the um, legislations that's being made. Um, they listen to us that what's going out on the streets. They listen to us of how we are involved. They take us from our heart, and they listen. And um, Dave, Yos, Emily, Joanna, all of them listen to survivors because I am. It is a survivor committee that I'm on, and they want to know different things about. Okay, if this occur, how did this happen? Why it happened? What can we do to stop it from happening? So it's a very strong um, opportunity to help other women um, to have voice. Let me say help everyone that don't have a voice and don't understand what's going on with them. Like, for instance, I just got finished calling um, Columbus, the people I'm with, and um, I gave them a tip about somewhere that I thought was getting out of hand, the human traffic tip. And um they actually called me back and everything, and they're going to see. Um, I want to be that voice so when people can help themselves. That's wonderful. So that's, save, that's life-saving work. Um, it's very important that at that level of government that you have been selected to be on a survivor panel and committee that gives voice and to the people that are you know, making the laws and uh, hearing from you how they can prevent this from happening. So I wanted people to understand what an important role you're playing uh, being a part of that with the Attorney General's office. Also, I know that you are involved with the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking, which is another powerful organization where you know a lot of service agencies belong to. And what is your role with the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking? Well, I am an advisor to the Collaborative. Like, we go around to the rape centers, the rape drop-in centers. Um, we get together. We talk about what we have seen, and um, they want feedback on it. Um, the rape centers so happily want to know what can we do better, how can we do it better, um, what's going wrong, what's not going wrong. Um, because a lot of people um, don't understand why things are happening what do they need to do better? And being a survivor, um, I have a voice, and I use that voice, and I am very happy to be on these committees. Well, that's very powerful, and we are so proud of everything that you're doing and what you're involved in because it is truly making a difference. And before, the last question I have for you, is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, with our audience about the center and our 20-year celebration? Yes. Also, what um, happened to me through the Renee Jones is that I was um, I was referred from Ms. Renee to the Her Network um, Association and from Ms. Renee... Um, referring me to it. It was a two-year program, and um, I went through it. And now I am the representative of Ohio for the Her Network um, Association. So now I'm able to help women like the Her Network help me and refer other women and organizations. So from seeing this through... Thank you, Miss Renee. I learned. I learned so much about myself 
are more confident, stay with an organization that's going to help you, like the Renee Jones helped me. One-stop shop. That's what I call this. My mental health, um, everything has been much better. I just want everybody to know that the cooperation from all the donations and the donors and everybody who has been helping, I'm getting emotional, has been helping us with to the dancing, with the outings, with coming in, talking to us, feeding us, caring about us. I don't think I would be where I'm at today without all this help. And it's only because people have taken their time out of their lives to help us. And I want to thank everybody. That's wonderful. Well, we thank you for joining this episode of Project Rare Core Chronicles. And as always, we miss you continued success in all of your endeavors, and we are so proud of you. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to Project Rare Core Chronicles. I thought at this moment, as the founder and uh, president and CEO of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center, I would share with our audience how this all started. Uh, before we introduce to you our next guest, who was our very first employee, Tracy Grasso, I wanted to take the minute to share um, this journey with you. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the way the center was started was I used to work with the homeless population when I had a full-time job. And what I learned from that experience is that we needed to have a center that would be able to be offering services to the community to address certain issues within the community, but with, with programs that were innovative, exciting, and, and we would have not a lot of restrictions, but be able to do whatever the person needed to become empowered. And that was the philosophy uh, that made me want to start a community center. Uh, we started the center in 2002 in the Detroit Shoreway area, which is in Cleveland, Ohio, a very small storefront, probably less than a thousand square feet. And there was one big room where everything happened one tiny office and one really, really tiny little bathroom um, that was for everyone to use. So I want you to get a visual picture of how this all began. And in that little place, lots of programs and services occurred in the community before we became known for really working with the issue of human trafficking and sexual assault victims. We were a community center that had programs for children and adults that included life skills, all kind of programs for the holidays and uh, different, uh, different, many different support groups to deal with the issues that were going on in that community for single parents. We had lots of single parents and lots of children that were unattended. So at that time, when we first opened, we had a large variety of people that came from children to adults. And as the years progressed on in 2008, we started outreach because one of the era problems in our community where the center was located was the problem of prostitution. And the, the, the community where we were located 
was, you know, lots of new homes were going up, things were changing, but that issue was still very prevalent in that area. And so I thought, well, you know, we're here to make a difference in this community. And that is when Project Red Court Court was birthed. Uh, We started to do outreach. And you'll learn a little bit more about that from one of our former board chairs who's going to talk about uh, the very first grant that we wrote that got us the opportunity to start outreach. But in 2008, we began to do street outreach. We began to go to the streets with a team that we had and do outreach. And we learned then uh, the very prevalent issue of human trafficking. We seen it firsthand and there was no one talking about human trafficking. When you mentioned human trafficking, you basically, people thought, oh, that doesn't happen here. It happens in other countries. Well, we seen firsthand it was very definitely happening in this community that we were in. And as years went on, we learned to find out it was happening all over in all a lot of different communities, very, uh, even if it was urban areas or suburban areas. I can tell you over these 20 years, we've seen people from all types of neighborhoods, wealthy, ghettos, urban areas, and rural areas. So human trafficking does not discriminate. Uh, I want to make that clear. But I wanted to give you a little bit of how this all journey started. When I found the building to rent, we did not have any funding, and I really didn't know how we would pay for this building every month. But I knew that something needed to be created that was sustainable. And that's why we rented this little storefront building. And we lived there for 17 years. And in 17 years, we've seen miraculous stories of empowerment and life changing and changing of the neighborhoods and meeting people on outreach, giving them hope. And that's a little bit about how we started. And we are in a new facility that we've been in now for three years. And we're, it's larger, we've grown so much. And, but I always want people to know that little small beginnings are very important because those years help us to really learn from the people that we were serving, not to determine what we thought people should have, but we are hearing straight from the people who need the services what they needed. And that's how we began to develop. We began to uh, innovate and create things that were different and things that were programs and services that would empower those that we were serving. So that's a little bit about the history of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center, our, uh, our beginning. And as you, if you follow us now, you have seen the growth over these 20 years. So I think all of the people that have been involved, that you're going to hear from some of those people today that made it all possible, all of the donors, all of the hundreds of volunteers and donors that have contributed over the years that made this center possible We salute you. I salute you. I thank you for following my vision, making it a reality. And I thank you for that. At this time, I want to welcome uh, with great enthusiasm our very first employee that was hired because we couldn't have a 20-year celebration without celebrating and talking to the very first employee, Tracy Grasso, that was hired at the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. And I want to welcome Tracy to this episode of Project Red Court Chronicles. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you, Renee. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. I want you to share with our audience, when uh, were you hired to work at the Renee Jones Empowerment Center? 
Okay, so I met you 2008 at the Great Lakes Science Center, and I started volunteering because as soon as I came to the center, I knew I wanted to be involved. And then uh, you and I had already had a great relationship, and then in 2010, um, after volunteering, I became the, you, you said I was the marketing director as a volunteer. Yes. So I was really <laughs> excited to be making flyers, and I did make the Facebook page at that point. And then in 2014, you had told me there was a position that had been um, written and that was available and that I could be uh, the employee if I was interested. And I was so ecstatic that I was able to have this job. So I absolutely accepted and was so excited to finally be able to work at Renee Jones Empowerment Center. That is wonderful. And I was really excited that you did accept the position, being uh, that I have been working there for many years by myself with the help of lots of volunteers. And to be able to have someone that was staff was really, really critical because we had grown and there was so much to do. And having a full-time job and trying to do all of those things was quite a load on my plate. So I was so grateful that you accepted that. Now, I also want you to know that over the years, I want our audience to know over the years that your role has changed significantly, uh, what you're doing when you started to what you're doing now. So I want you to share with the audience how your position has changed over the years, um, you know, with your current position and what you, how you work with victims and survivors. Oh, absolutely. When I started, it was an admin administrative coordinator. And at that point, it was a lot of, like you said, like, I don't know how you did it for so long by yourself. So I was ecstatic to just help you in any capacity. And I remember really starting to just put things in order and uh, help with some programming and some, you know, donations and things that had been needing that. But then we started doing programming like the Teen Summit and Collinwood Resource Fair, and you started outreach. And it was growing, and there was a lot more activity going on. I remember the prevention and awareness for teens, um, just a lot of new things that we did, the fashion show. And it was really neat to see just how much more programming was being done. And then we the outreach in itself was just starting on Lorraine was a huge project and it just kept growing and it was so wonderful to do that and eventually now I'm doing as a program coordinator a lot more of the partnerships and I'm presenting um, at schools for prevention awareness on human trafficking and I'm able to work with a lot of local organizations getting them involved and just being able to get into the community get the donations in, work with people to get those needed which we are serving in outreach, that we get to go to these neighborhoods now that we're in four, it's a lot more. So we, you know, get the donations, we bag them, we go to the neighborhoods, and just being able to do that with all these different types of organizations has been awesome. And so the programming is still happening. We, we continue to do the prevention and awareness, but my role in even just the marketing aspect and just being able to really be president on all levels is my favorite part of the job is just being able to have that role. Yes. And one of the other things that I want to add that you didn't get a chance to touch on is that you also facilitate one of the groups that we have called the Plant Club, which has really turned out to be something hugely successful and popular with the people that we serve. So can you share a little bit about the Plant Club? Oh, absolutely. Um, Plant Club's the best part, actually. I, pr- I probably think it's my favorite because it started so organically and naturally how it, it did start was that one of our former clients had come in 
And I do have a lot of plants in my office, but not just the office. If you've not been to the center, our main room is full of windows and it's filled with plants, very many plants. And uh, one of our clients that had been here pre- previously, it was her first time visiting our new center, and she just was really drawn to these plants and, and really knew a lot about them and was asking questions. And I was so excited to talk to her about these plants. And that same day, she got home to her place and walked to the nearest store and bought a plant and texted you and said, could you show this to Tracy? I bought a plant. And it really just moved us. We were just so excited that somebody could get that much joy just by being around plants. So it was then decided a plant club would probably be a really great benefit for for survivors here and for our clients. And it's been almost three months, I want to say, that we've done it. And it is phenomenal. Um, We have learned a lot. We, We don't just plant. We talk about the resembling of what plants require and how it really is amazing to see what you can see in a plant when we transfer them pots and when it takes to let them grow in the watering and just it's been really fun and I've noticed a change in the the people that do come to plant club they get so excited and they come and bring plants and they talk about them and we go around and see what has grown and what needs different kind of nurturing and it's just really been awesome and it's just brought a lot of joy to the people who are in the group. Yes and I have witnessed it and I love it myself Uh, And just so that you can get a visual, we have about 34 plants, I believe, in our center. So uh, we are so grateful for Tracy facilitating the group. Not only does she facilitate the plant group every Thursday, but she also takes care of all 34 plants that we have that they get to enjoy when they come in. So we're grateful that you are have added that to your plate as well. What do you have? What do you love most about working at RJEC, Tracy? I have. I can't even answer that. I don't feel like words would actually ever convey how much I love working here and the work that we do and working with you. I think that being able to love this job in the way that I do with the passion I do and and not just in the center, but outside the center. I just think that I'm grateful every day just to be able to work alongside you, but also that I can involve my family. It isn't a job I come to and then leave. I, I never leave this place. It's always in my heart. It is constantly something that I, I want to be better at. It's made me a better person, but I also involve my family, my kids, my friends, my neighborhood. Every every aspect of my life kind of is involved with this job because of my passion for the work that we do. But also my kids come to outreach, and uh, my husband has helped us set up the whole center and has been with us from the beginning. And seeing the growth and the continuous growth of, of how far we've come and how far we're going with the global initiative, with all the things that we've done, with all the neighborhoods we've expanded to, and just you allowing me to be able to be the best part of, you know, what I do here and what I can do and meeting the people I've met and the things I've learned and the people we've reached. I just feel like it's this eternally grateful attitude I have for this place because of the amount of love that goes into running it and that you've provided and just that, like, it just continues to give, and and I think that's the best part. And seeing my children love it, and and the help that we're giving to people in neighborhoods that otherwise we wouldn't. I've just learned a lot about myself, but I've also grown relationships I never knew I would have, and I've learned a lot of new skills. And it's just a job that just keeps on giving. That's wonderful, Tracy. Thank you for sharing that. And ditto. <laughs> we love having you. We love having Avery and John. 
uh, who are her children and her husband, Mike, um, because they have definitely been a team and have been with us throughout these years that she's been working here, even before she started working and was volunteering. And so being able to give the kids the experience of being involved, teaching them empathy and compassion for others and seeing other people is really a good lesson for all children to learn. And they've been great examples of that at our outreach. So we're grateful for Tracy bringing along her family when they are able to help us. Um, And the last question I have for you, Tracy, you have been a major part of RJEC's history. Uh, We've celebrated and went through so many things together because it was just the two of us to start. Uh, We do have a therapist that we uh, received a grant for the last couple of years, but many of of the earlier years, it was just the two of us as staff. And so I wanted you, if there's, um, because you have such a history with the center, is there anything special that you would like to share with our audience as a closing question? There is. It's something I think about pretty often considering where we are now is that when we first started and you had offered that position, I remember just saying yes, because when you get an opportunity like that with you, Renee, it's just kind of like, of course, I'm going to say yes. And where we started, we had no heat or air and we had, I just, the, the memories I have of us in that space and just but happy as it can be because of the work, right? So I think that seeing this now and just knowing where we've come from and, and knowing that it, nothing's ever stopped, not through COVID, not through anything. And it's never been a question of if when it's just how much further are we going to get to go? And it's something that we never, ever lose our passion for. And I think that where you started in 2002, and I remember the day I met you in 2008, and just knowing that how special you were and just the effect you have on people's lives and the differences you make, I just always think to myself, like, how did I get so lucky? But just knowing where we came from, and I just remember being nine months pregnant in there, and, and you, it was just that they hear, and I just remember the stories of just how much has been created in the space that you brought to our lives, but where we were and and just how excited you always were with all these new opportunities. And I just have to give you as much credit for thinking outside the box and having such an open mind and always taking a new approach for anything that you see empowering someone that you just go with it. And that is what makes this place so unique is, as you always say, is where we meet them, where they're at. And it makes us so unique. And we never treat anyone like we know what they're going through. We always treat them with love and care. And it's just, it draws people in and you can't help ignore that. And I think that I've, I've been able to apply that to my life and it just keeps getting better than the people that really come and want to get involved in any capacity that they can, that we allow that. If, if you find one thing that they love, you make it so they can be involved. And I just, I think that's so wonderful. And I think that rubs off on everyone who comes here is because they're able to see the love, the love that we give, and they can take that with them, you know, and that really stands out. Yes. Well, that is wonderful, Tracy. Wonderful. And we are so grateful to have you as a staff person. All that you give is phenomenal. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Project Red Court Chronicles. Thanks, Renee. At this time, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest that we have the opportunity to have in the studio today. Detective John Morgan, who has been an intricate part of this 20-year celebration, and we could not have a 20-year celebration without having him on 
as part of law enforcement that we've had an opportunity to work with um, in so many ways. And at this time, I'd like to welcome Detective John Morgan to the Project Rare Course Chronicles podcast. Welcome, Detective Morgan. Well, hello. Thank you uh, for having me. Absolutely. Well, I want our audience to learn a little bit about who you are and the work that you do. Can you share with our audience the work that you do as part of the Ohio Attorney General's Cuyahoga Regional Human Trafficking Task Force? That was a mouthful. (laughs) It is. Um, Yes. Well, to start off, um, you know, I kind of cut my teeth doing uh, human trafficking when I was assigned with the FBI. Um, I started in 2007 um, in the latter part of 2007, working at the FBI, working specifically um, child sex trafficking. Um, and through 2000 and let's say 13 and into 2014, um, I took a little bit of a break. I was still doing training, but then the Cuyahoga County Sheriff at that time tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we need you to start this task force with the Attorney General's office. So I created what is now called the Cuyahoga Regional Human Trafficking Task Force. And what we do is we have um, multiple agencies assigned with us, whether it be from the Ohio Investigative Unit, which used to be liquor control, that gives us access to go into bars and strip clubs or gentlemen's clubs, you know, to do certain checks. Um, We have... um, uh, special agents from the Department of Homeland Security Investigations. I am classified as what they call a task force officer with them. So I hold a federal badge as, as well as a state badge. What we do is we are looking for both adults and or juveniles that are involved and forced into commercial sex. It is our responsibility to identify it, and then deal with the victims. And also, obviously, to prosecute those traffickers, or as some people would like to refer to them as pimps. Although it is a very difficult job to to prosecute a lot of these individuals, whether it be men, women, doesn't matter, it's more important for us to save who we can save. And so our focus is primarily on Um, identifying um, and recovering and helping these victims that have been lured into this, whether it be through force, fraud, coercion, or by any other means that they found themselves in this terrible situation. So for us, yes, we do want to go after the traffickers, but if we can save as many people as we can from this, that is what we would prefer to do. So listen, we, we always want to go after the trafficker. We also understand that when you're dealing with victims, you know, some people aren't going to be forthright with information about their trafficker because of whatever circumstance they might be in love with them. They may care for them. They may not want to come clean it. They've just been through too much trauma, and we understand that, and we're not asking them to come forward with this right away. We understand sometimes it takes time. That's why, especially in the federal system, there is no statute of limitations on this. 
So if someone decides five years from now that after we've recovered them and gotten them to safety and they've figured out what happened to them, if they want to come forward with information, we will then go forward and prosecute. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> How long have you been working with the RJEC? Oh, the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. Um, we've been working with you, I believe, since um, the early part of 2008. Um, I believe we may have met on a panel discussion, and um, it was uh, it was it's been teamwork ever since. Yes, it has, and we are we've been so grateful to have you as part of the team. Very important role. Can you share with our audience how you refer victims to the center, and any particular victims that you have referred over the years uh, who are now survivors that really are living new lives. We have, well, it's very difficult to describe, but when we meet uh, or encounter victims, you know, and first of all, they don't even like to be referred to as victims anymore. So we don't, we refer to them as their, by their name. But when we run into these individuals, um, I, I kind of do like a, a, a little, interview with them um, to see where they are. You know, the last person, the last thing we want to do is send you someone that's not ready. We also do not want to send someone who has, you know, who might be unstable, whether it be mentally unstable or they're still addicted to, you know, some sort of a narcotic or drug. So um, I'm very selective as to who is this that I send here because I understand that there's not a lot of resources and that, that I want to send someone here who has a really, really good shot of getting out of this life. Um, we also try to understand their needs. Do they need housing? Do they need mental health? Do they need detox? Do they need medical attention? We get them those things first, and once they get stabilized, I always refer them here. Because we believe that, you know, you know, I think you coined the phrase earlier on in our in our career when you talked about this is the new AA. And because when you meet someone who is in Alcoholics Anonymous, no long, no matter how long they've been there, they always refer to themselves as recovering. And this is exactly what happens because we've been through this too many times where we see that that victims of sex trafficking human trafficking in, in itself can fall off the wagon and go back to the trafficker. And so we want to send someone to the Renee Jones Empowerment Center who we feel is ready to get out of this game and start their life. And you show them that there's other things out there besides dirty hotel rooms and this part of the town or flying back and forth or on a bus going to different cities, you show them that there's, you know, with horse therapy and all the different therapies that you do, you show them that there's a different life. And that's something that only people who are ready to get out of this can truly appreciate. Well, I thank you for that. Um, I can think of so many cases, but we have two particular cases that really come to mind of people that you referred here that are doing amazing things. And 
one was uh, a case of a, a young girl that used to run away all the time. I think she was a, about 11 years old. And we received her uh, at the center when she was like 17. And uh, you knew who she was because she had a history of just going. I mean, she ran up, she would be out of town and she'd run away and come home. And she was always running away. And we had the chance to have, we had the opportunity to have her at the center to take advantage of the programs and we have an annual gala, and she was one of the survivors that we celebrated at the Survivor Spotlight. And I'll never forget the moment that we wanted you there to present her with the flowers, the person that had rescued her over the years, because I thought it was twofold for you to see all of the work that you do. And I know it's very difficult work, but to be able to see someone that you know that had a chance really survive and be successful I thought it was important on both ends. It was very important for her, very life-changing for her to receive that beautiful bouquet of flowers from the detective that rescued her and saved her life. So that that particular case sticks, sticks out. That. You remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember that. And um, I'll never forget that. And right now, that young lady is doing well. She's a mom. She has a baby, and she's doing well. And all of that was because of someone took the time you didn't have to do that as a detective. You didn't have to. You didn't have to refer her. But she had been to a lot of places. So I just wanted to bring that up and thank you because a lot of times we don't thank uh, the law enforcement enough about what the work they're doing, and that really changed her life. And then there's so many, but the other one was a case where the husband had trafficked the wife, which is something you wouldn't even imagine happened, and. That young woman uh, that you referred was, I mean, has just truly been amazing. Do you want to share, we don't have to say her name, but just a little bit about how she went to prison? Yes. Um, In fact, um, she was, um, thinking back about that case, she was almost like my unicorn because there were so many opportunities for us when we were conducting operations or stings that they call here in the United States um, to recover or identify, recover victims and identify traffickers. And every time we set up a date with her, we knew that she was being forced into this life, but something always went wrong. Like another, the, 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 the young lady that we had set up scheduled before her to come was running late and they bumped into each other and, or we were, you know, we, we entered the room and she saw us into the room on a second, on another time. So in this instance, we didn't actually get her. We got another girl that was in this, in this uh, trafficker stable. And because of what that young lady told us, we were able to go after her trafficker, which then we ended up, you know, obviously recovering that young lady. And I'll never forget, we were getting ready to go to trial on her husband. And at first she wasn't cooperative, but then she became cooperative. And it's a unique story because what happened was he placed a phone call to his friend on a three-way from our jail. And the friend called the wife, the, the defendant's wife. And she did exactly as we instructed. She did not answer the phone and she let it go to voicemail. Well, that, that, that person, that male that the defendant called from jail, never unclicked off the three-way. 
And so you then heard his conversation after that saying that if we do not get in touch with this young lady, I am done. And he didn't say it in those nice words. He was, he knew that if she testified against him, that he was going to prison. And we heard that voicemail and when we, he still decided to go to trial and we played that for the jury and they convicted him and gave him 14 years in prison. Um, and although I went to bat at that young lady's sentencing, she was still was shipped to prison because the judge said that I understand that she's a victim, but she also helped the perpetrator recruit and do all these other things. But when she was shipped, that's when I gave her your telephone number. I talked to her about, we, we have things for you when you get out, and this is what we're going to do. And so when she got out, I think she even contacted you while she was in prison. And she knew at that point she was done with that life. And that's why I gave her that telephone number. I could have very easily said, you know what, you're part of this whole problem you need to go to jail and you need to serve out your time. She actually was shocked out early and she's been with you ever since. And I think she's probably one of your greatest success she stories is right now. She a great success story. Yes, she yes. is. And, and I always appreciated her for having the courage to call you. Yes. And I appreciated you for giving her that number because she is not, she has done so many amazing things. Just recently she became a trauma certified yoga instructor, which is no easy task. Uh, she received a scholarship for that um, by one of the partnering organizations that works with us, the MAP Project. Um, and just she's an entrepreneur, and uh, you were instrumental in helping her get her uh, license back because she was a cab driver as well. So she is now has her, you know, she uh, flips houses and sells them and I mean, it's just an amazing story. Had you not taken that chance and seen the possibilities of life change for her, um, that would not have happened. So I want to salute you because it's she'll always be the first to say, uh, you know, Detective Morgan, when she ever she speaks, she always acknowledged you. She might not have felt like that at first when she first met you, but to be able to see that she could trust that you really did care for her and you seen that she had a possibility of change in her life. So that was a good thing. Well, that is, um, that's something that's really, it's really, really nice because you don't hear a lot of those success stories. One, two, um, there are a lot of people out there. And when I say people, I'm talking about young men and young women who may not get that chance or have had that chance multiple times and has decided not to, take that opportunity. And, um, you know, I'm sure there are others, but the things, the people that I remember the most are the ones that I couldn't help. Um, and there are a lot of them out there. There are a lot of them. And there's a lot of people out there that I hope will hear what is going on and what's being said on this podcast and will decide to reach out to someone locally and ask for help. Absolutely. Well, I, this has been such a wonderful uh, opportunity to get to talk with you, and we're so excited that we continue to have a uh, relationship with Detective Morgan, and he's going to be a speaker on our global initiative 
uh, webinar that we have coming up on October 27th. So I just thank you for being a part of Project Red Court Chronicles podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. At this time, I am so excited to introduce to you our youth ambassador, Xavier Walsh. Um, he has quite the history with the center, and we could not have a celebration without him being a part of this podcast. So welcome, Xavier, to the Project Record Chronicles podcast. Happy to be here. I wanted to start off because I want our audience to know, what was your age? Uh, what is your age when you started volunteering at the center? I would have been like nine or eight or nine years old when I started volunteering. Yes. Isn't that something? The youngest volunteer we ever had. And how old are you today? I'm 16 today. 16 years old. And what school do you attend? I go to St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland. That is awesome. And you're a senior? I'm a senior, yeah. That is wonderful. Uh, so I want you to, that is really something very powerful to know that we had a young volunteer and when he started his age and where he is now. So, uh, Xavier, I want you to share with our audience as a youth ambassador volunteer at that young age and up until today, he's still a volunteer. What are the various events that you've been involved with at the center? So I've, uh, I started off doing the annual galas. So the fundraisers for Renee Jones Empowerment Center, and I would play music there, um, do some piano, and then over the years would develop into like recorded stuff and various instruments. And I would also do street outreach and help set up and uh, play my music there because a lot of people, you know, are kind of closed off that we're trying to help. So the music would help them open up a little bit, be more interested in what we're trying to do. And uh, I also did the annual, was it the Teen Summit? Yeah, for a couple of years there. And I helped run that and get it set up. And then I also did a speech at the State House for the Renee Jones Department Center as well. Yes, which was amazing uh, with Senator Fetter, her annual youth empowerment uh, session on human trafficking. So we were really uh, very proud of you being selected to be there as a speaker. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to add, as you can see, he has a variety of things that he's done for the center. Very talented young man. And really uh, the instrument and the gift of music that he has and bringing to the outreach has really made an impact in the various communities that we serve. But one other thing that I wanted our audience to know is that we created a training film in 2017 called No Human Trafficking. And Xavier wrote the soundtrack uh, to that uh, movie. And so do you want to share just a little bit about that? Yeah, so I... Uh I wrote the main theme song for the movie. My dad wrote the lyrics, and then we recorded it at my house, and now it's all over the movie and at the end of the movie, too. Yes, and this, and, and to believe it or not, to this day, we still use that film. It is one of our main training films and is still very effective, and people love to hear the whole song and hear the music that you created um, with your dad as well. So we thank you for that. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience as a last question? Anything about your experience as a volunteer? I just could say that it's a very rewarding experience to be able to share with people that something I'm good at and something that I can bring to the table and make such an impact over these years with everything I've done. 
Yes. Well, I am so grateful, and we certainly appreciate you. Uh, we're cheering for you. You're in your senior year. That's very exciting. Thank you for all you do for RJEC. Thank you for being a part of our amazing history of this 20 years. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. At this time, I'm so excited to introduce to you a former board chair of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center and a constant uh, volunteer, even though he's no longer on the board. He's uh, our legal advisor and so much more uh, that he does for the center. So at this time, I'd like to welcome Jonathan Walsh to Project Rare Court Chronicles podcast. Welcome, Jonathan. Oh, thank you, Renee, for having me here today. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to uh, ask a couple questions because I want the audience to understand. Can you share with our audience when you became involved with the center? Sure. Um, you know, that's that's funny because I was trying to think of the dates, and then you told me that this was a 20-year anniversary uh, special that you were doing. And I was like, oh, my goodness. 20 years. So that would put us back to 2002. And I was actually, I went into my computer today and I was looking for documents that I had done and when I had written any letters for you or done anything. And uh, it was before I even graduated from law school. It was because uh, I graduated from law school in 2004 at Cleveland State. And you had just set up the center and I don't think you had quite moved in to the 65th Street place, or you may have just moved in. 2002, we moved in. So um, my wife worked with you at the Great Lakes Science Center, and you two became friends. And she said to me one night, you know, you've got to meet this lady. You've got to uh, come out and see her, her center, I think. You know, you know stuff about the law, and I think you can help her. And so I don't remember what event it was that you were holding at the center. You it know what it was? Been. It was a fashion show uh, that we were having, which was a little fundraiser. And your wife, Lily, was one of my models. We were having it for all the different countries. Yes. Yes, and we went out there, I think, before the fashion show to sort of figure out what her part was going to be and all that. And that's when we met. And uh, we've been friends ever since then. Um, and that was just, uh, it was bare bones back then. Yes, it was. Very bare bones. You know. It sure was. And in fact, I, I think I scraped some furniture from somewhere and threw it in your center rather than throwing it away so that there were extra seats. You sure did, because we didn't hardly have anything. We just had the building. So that goes way back. Uh, you probably... Before 20 years, for sure, you've been a part of this journey, the whole 20, for sure. That is awesome to be able to share that. Um, can you share also a little bit about maybe some of the milestones uh, that you witnessed being a part of the board? Sure. I think, um, well, it's important maybe for your audience to doesn't know that the Renee Jones Empowerment Center didn't start out. Um, exclusively serving and working with Project Red Cord. Uh, and Project Red Cord was something that was created by you. Um, and I remember we were talking one time on the phone, and this was maybe 
2006 or maybe it was 2010. I, I, 2008. Yeah. Who knows? It was 2008. Okay. And I'll trust you on that. Um, you were talking to me and I said, well, what's going on with the center? And you were explaining to me how you were out there helping and you were having all of these ladies uh, coming in. And even some of the pimps were coming into the center um, because that at that time, 65th and Lorraine was uh, not a pleasant place, you know? Um, and uh, you said, you know, they're, they're, taking, they're using and need so many resources. And you were talking about this idea you had to, to form Project Red Cord. And I, I remember you did some things. And then we had another conversation later in the year. And I said to you, you know, Renee, this isn't just prostitution that's going on here. This is, this is what they're beginning to call human trafficking. And, and, and these people don't necessarily are not out there on their own free will. And you are basically, you understood that on a level of, you knew that, but you didn't have the language necessarily to classify it because at that time, the idea of human trafficking was, was just beginning to get recognition in the, in the country and it wasn't something that anybody was funding to any large degree. And so um, you developed the idea of Project Red Cord, and I said, well, let's run with that. Let's, um, since you're spending the money on the resources, you're doing whatever you can for them, you should try to get some funding based just on this. And so we wrote a, a grant you found the grant. Um, it was through Neighborhood Connections, or maybe I found the grant. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on that part. But um, to do the grant, you needed somebody to go with you to a preliminary meeting, and I attended that meeting. And then we had to go back after we presented the grant. And the Neighborhood Connections grant, which I believe still goes on today, it's funded by the Cleveland Foundation. And they're really only giving small grants. I think the maximum, at least at that time, was $5,000. And uh, I think at some point we had a conversation and you asked me, well, how much should we ask for it? I said, well, it says the limit's 5000 and you're doing it. So you might as well ask for 5000 The worst they can do is go down. you know. So um, we did end up going uh, I don't remember which one of us actually wrote the grant. I think you did most of it. And I might have contributed something to it. And then we had the meeting. And I remember just before the meeting, I didn't feel like I was very prepared for it. But you were so prepared. And then when we went into the meeting, there was a lady there. They, they, they operated in teams. And I think a lot of them had received grants or were participants from other nonprofits and they were just sort of trying to weed out really bad grants, you know, um, and people were asking for all kinds of things because they were, a lot of the grants were only for a few hundred dollars, you know, maybe streetlights or, or, you know, uh, an extra, uh, gardening tools for their community garden, those kinds of things. And then we came in with like serious issues. And I think they were skeptical of us because we were bringing serious issues. We were like, 
this is there. We're going to be helping prostitutes. We're going to be uh, uh, talking to drug, uh, possibly drug addicted people, possibly drug addicts, possibly even the pimps. Uh, who will come in because just because they're the pimps doesn't mean that they don't have problems of their own or they're not just walking in and inspecting what you're doing, you know? Um, And I think our grant probably stood out because of the reasons of what we were asking. Um, But you blew them out of the water that night and they asked you a ton of questions and, your training as a HR executive just seemed to kick in and you had an answer for everything they asked. And I think they were very skeptical at the beginning, but at the end we, we got the $5,000 and which was probably one of the few. Yes, it was that, that were given that much money. And that was the beginning that I'm so thankful that you shared that because that was really the beginning of Project Record and how it has developed from that grant to what it is today that we're in over four neighborhoods. We're now just at a fifth neighborhood doing that same outreach, but at a whole nother level. And so um, we are grateful for that contribution and your help and your legal expertise. And just for being a new nonprofit, being afraid to ask for any money, because we hadn't had any grant at that sure. point. We um, were happy if we somebody we donated $500. <laughs> we were just right. ecstatic. We were happy. And so we were thrilled to be able to, you know, do the work. So it's so great to have you as part of this celebration. Is there anything else as a last question that you'd like to share about um, being involved with the center over the years? Well, I think um, since I am the lawyer type person that uh, you call when those things happen. I I think one of the things uh, to talk about is uh, how difficult it is to take an idea to help people and convert that into a meaningful and lasting nonprofit. And that that transition is often the most difficult part that, that other people fail at. You know, I mean, I consider us, Fortunate, but also, as in life, fortune comes with a a stroke of luck, a stroke of being in the right place at the right time. A lot of those pegs fell into the hole for us. Um, So it's not a process that that many people emerge from. Lots of people want to help others. But the act of turning that desire to help into an organization that can continue to help, that is the difficult trick that is an amazing story of the Renee Jones Empowerment Center. Because I, I'm sure that there are many, many people out there who have an idea to help others, who would absolutely love to be in the position you're in where they're receiving grants that they can uh, afford to, to uh, provide true assistance, they can afford to um, help the people that are coming in, in in a meaningful way rather than a one-time way or here's a free meal, that there's, that there's real help and healing coming for the clients that come here. You know, um, that to me is uh, one of the great accomplishments of the Renee Jones Center is 
taking it from that idea to where it is today, where you're respected throughout the state of Ohio uh, as, a, as a place that, that says what it's going to do and then does it and, and provides those services and where most of the money that comes in doesn't end up in administrative costs. You know, that is a very difficult thing to do from medium to small to medium to large to not be an organization that ends up absorbing all of the funding just to run its administration. And, you know, you've been very lean and we would love to see the center like grow to be, say, the size of, you know, the rape crisis center or some of the other really amazing sort of nonprofits that we have operating in this city, but it's really hard to do. It's really hard to, it's really hard when that money comes in to be able to gear it towards the clients and the services they need rather than gearing it towards the administration part of the operations that keeps the doors open. So I, I, you've got a, you've got something going there and hopefully you can keep it going, you know, and, uh, and continue to see lives transformed here in Cleveland. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition, special 20 year edition of Project Rare Core Chronicles. I am so excited to introduce our last guest of this episode, a longtime board member who's going to share with you some really interesting things about her involvement with the center over these 20 years. Uh, I'd like to welcome Carla Lovejoy to the Project Red Core Chronicles podcast. Welcome, Carla. Thank you, Renee. I'm very excited to be here. Thank I'm, you. I'm so glad that you're here. And I think that the first important thing that I want people to know is uh, how long have you been a board member with the center? I have been on the board for probably about eight years now. It's been a, a great eight years. That's wonderful. And that's a really important to know because a lot of times board members don't serve as a longer terms like that. So I'm very excited to, that you are able to share the length of time that you're here. And we're grateful for the years that you've put in here. As a board member, how have you been involved with the operations, fundraisers, and the different things that we have going on at the center? Well, for the past eight years, I've been uh, very blessed to have been involved with the past galas. I've been involved with uh, eight of them. I, I missed the first one, but I've been lucky enough to uh, help fundraise uh, for, to help you know fund the um, services that you've done here. So the last um, seven of those, and then I've also uh, been working on um, some of the other things like outreach. Um, I've been going into um, some of the schools and done some awareness with some of the survivors. I've also uh, traveled with you down to Columbus and uh, done some, you know, some things with you doing. So, you know, get the word out about some of the things that you've done here with the center. I've also um, been a mentor to some of the survivors here, which has been very rewarding. Uh, Done a lot of the photography and uh, done, really enjoy doing that and been part of the art exhibit uh, to also get the word out about the great things that you've done here and get a, a little insight of some of the survivors um, and what, 
you know, some of their their life that they have done and gone through. That is wonderful. Uh, again, <clears throat> we're so grateful over the years, the number of things that you've been involved in. And one of the huge ones is, you know, taking on the task of being the gala chair for the last seventh gala. So this is our, we're celebrating our eighth Breaking the Chains gala this November 5th. And uh, so we're so grateful that, you know, that's a big task to take on, but you've done it uh, for seven years, and we're grateful for that because that's one of the center's largest fundraiser events. So it's very important event for us to be able to continue to do the work that we do. In celebration of this 20 years, what are you most proud of as a board member here at RJEC? Definitely, as you mentioned, the gala uh, has been one of my biggest um, joys. Uh, it is one of the biggest fundraisers and uh, just getting out the word about all the great things that you've done here, Renee, and uh, getting to work with uh, the survivors, getting to get into community and um, get out the word about how we have to keep the wonderful things here going. And without the, the funds to do it, it's just so crucial uh, to our community. So definitely um, that's one of my biggest joys, and, and that's why continue to do it and I'm blessed and I'm just glad that you had me do it. Thank uh, you. That's a, that is huge because we can't do anything without yeah, the funding. Exactly. So we really thank you for that. And is there anything else as the last question uh, that you want to share with our audience that maybe I didn't ask anything else that you'd like to share? Um, just, you know, that, you know, volunteer work is so important and I just wish that um, everybody would just, you know, you know, make time to volunteer you know, at your local community organization. Uh, we, of course, could always use volunteers here at Renee Jones Center. But just make time, you know, to, to do that, to volunteer, because, you know, you never know, you know, what difference you can make in somebody's life. Because I know uh, here at the center that I hope I touch someone's life, you know. Absolutely. You've touched many lives. So thank you so much, Carla, for joining us for this episode of Project Red Chronicles. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this special 20-year celebration episode of Project Red Core Chronicles. Tune in for our next podcast on November 4th. Remember our tagline, no human trafficking, be aware and care. <laughs>